Hey, good morning. It's good to see you guys. Glad you're here today and uh, looking forward to our time together this morning. Uh, I, uh, you know that sound? In fact, let me see if I can make this do it real fast here. Probably not. I meant to have this done before I got out here. But I have it in my mind to do it, so I'm determined now. Yeah, and you know, that's like uh, when we hear that noise, most of you can't resist the urge, can you, to reach for your phone? I mean, it's like Pavlov's dog when we hear that sound. We cannot resist reaching for the phone to see who the message is from and what the message is about. Am I supposed to do something in response to the message? Text messaging for most people has become a way of life. Not for me, but for most of you. I just can't seem to get over the hump of wanting to do that a lot, but... uh yeah, it is. It's a way of life. In fact, I've heard that on a lot of uh, university campuses, a lot of organizations, they have a whole emergency notification system using text messages. And if there is an emergency or an important message to get out, they send a text to everybody's phone to, to notify them so everybody is aware of what's going on. It's just become a way of our life, hasn't it, for a lot of us. So I was thinking, what if God sent us a text message? I mean, what if there was something really important that God wanted to communicate with us and He decided to send us a text message? He could do that. What do you think He'd say? Well, I think there's at least one thing, probably many things that He might say to us, but there's one thing that I'm pretty confident that God would ask us. I think He would text to us, Are you ready? Are you ready for the return of Jesus? Are you ready for the second coming of Jesus? After all, Jesus promised that one day He would return. In John chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus says these words. He says, Do not let your hearts be troubled in this world, in this life, and about what's to come. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in Me. My Father's house has plenty of room. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, And then notice these next words. I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Now that last verse we're going to talk about towards the end this morning. But did you catch Jesus' promise there? He says, I will come back. And I don't know about you, but I trust what Jesus says. Because I don't know of a single promise that Jesus has ever made that He has failed to keep. He promises to come back. Now, the Bible only gives us some kind of highlights about His return and a lot of the how and the where and the when. We're not given a lot of details about, are we? But the Bible does say this in a couple of places about Jesus' return. It says in 1 Thessalonians, You know as well as I that the day of the Master's coming can't be posted on our calendars. You can't circle a date and say that's when it's going to happen. He won't call ahead and make an appointment any more than a burglar would. Then it says this in 1 Thessalonians 4, there will be the, the shout of command, the archangel's voice, the sound of God's trumpet, and the Lord Himself will come down from heaven. Those who have died believing in Christ will rise to life first. I don't think it's going to be an event that people will miss. I think when the trumpet call of God sounds, I think everybody will know it. Um, Last uh, Sunday evening, the the shuttle Discovery took off. And I just happened to uh, 
walk outside to take the dogs out. And uh, as I walked out, I noticed all my neighbors were outside looking at the sky. And I realized that I didn't think it was the second coming, so because I didn't hear the trumpet sound. But um, I realized there's the shuttle. And my wife happened to be out, too, and our whole family was out there. And we saw the, the shuttle lift off. It was pretty cool, one of those really cool things about living in Florida. And, and I looked around and thought, there are more neighbors outside right now at the same time than I have seen since Hurricane Charlie. In fact, one of my neighbors kind of waved at everybody and said, hey, it's good to see you all out here. But you know what? There were some people, maybe some of you, who had no idea that the challenger lifted off, did they? They totally missed the event. And when Jesus returns, I don't think there's a chance that anybody will miss the event. It is going to happen. Now, I know that throughout history, there's been a lot of debate about the exactly how Jesus' return will take place. Now, there's a lot of uh, debate over a particular date. Is Can we name the date when it's going to happen? A lot of people have tried. The theologians debate about all of the particulars of Jesus' return. There's a lot of discussion at times about the book of Revelation in the Bible and there's all the figurative language that's there and how do we understand all of those things. People are sometimes confused by big words like tribulation. What exactly does that mean? And, and who will the Antichrist be? And what about this number 666? You know what's interesting to me? When Jesus talked about His return, He didn't really talk about any of those things. In fact, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus teaches three very simple lessons about how to get ready for His return. And over the course of the next few weeks, it's those three lessons that I want to look at. Three very simple lessons that I think if we'll listen to what Jesus says, we'll be ready. Because I am convinced that Jesus knew what He was talking about. And if I'll just do what Jesus said in these three simple lessons, I'll be ready for His return. Whenever it happens, however it happens, all the details won't matter so much because I'll be ready. So I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. And I hope you brought a Bible with you this morning. If you don't have one, uh, please uh, be our uh, guest and uh, take one as you leave. There's some on the tables by the doorways. Pick one of those up. It's our gift. We want you to have it. Take it home. Put your name in it. And then when you come back next week, uh, bring it with you. So open your Bibles this morning. I want you to know where Matthew chapter 25 is. It's the very first book in the New Testament uh, of your Bible. Um, and I want you to Go home, and over the next few weeks, I'm going to read through Matthew 25 several times. In fact, you might want to go back to chapter 24 and read the things that are talked about there because Jesus sort of begins to talk about His second coming a little bit in chapter 24, and then He gives these three very simple lessons in chapter 25 that we're going to look at. Today, part one, or lesson one, is in the first 13 verses of Matthew 25. Listen to what happens here. Jesus is talking, and He says, "...at that time, the kingdom of heaven, or God's kingdom..." will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now understand, he is talking about a, a Jewish wedding. And unlike an American wedding, the groom is the center of attention. I'm glad that I wasn't the center of attention at my wedding. I much prefer that it would be the bride who is the center of attention, as far as I'm concerned. But in a Jewish wedding, it was the groom. And there was this tradition that he would unexpectedly go from his house oftentimes, to the house of His bride. And a lot of the customs say that there was some negotiating that went on with her parents in terms of you know, exactly what they expected to receive for the hand of their daughter. And I guess sometimes that negotiation would go on for a while. And so the wedding party would wait expectantly for the groom to come 
from the bride's house back to his house for a big celebration. And that's what they're doing in this case. They're waiting. He's at her, her parents' house. Evidently, they're doing the negotiating. And it's taking a while, and they're waiting. They have these lamps, and there's a couple of different opinions about what these lamps were exactly. Some picture almost like a tiki torch kind of thing, you know, a long pole with uh, something that holds oil at the top and, and burns. Some people think there was a globe over top. Other people think it was just more like a torch, a piece of wood with cloth wrapped around the top and some oil poured on it, and it would burn. In either case, they are waiting. Verse 2, five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish one took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. They knew it may be a while before the bridegroom comes. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. Those negotiations took a while, I guess. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others came also. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I don't know you. Then Jesus says, Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Jesus says very simply in this story, here's the bottom line of it. People have tried to make all kinds of lessons out of this story, but here's what I think the bottom line is. Jesus simply teaches, be ready and watch. They came, the bride, the wedding party came with their lamps. The wise ones brought along some oil. They were prepared. They were ready. And then they waited. They watched for the coming of the bridegroom. And Jesus simply says to us, when it comes to my return, I want you to be ready and watch. I went and borrowed this from a restaurant yesterday. Do you recognize this? One of those pagers that at a lot of restaurants um, you get. They were kind enough to loan it to me. Of course, it's broke, so really they had nothing to lose. But Don't you love it when you go to a restaurant and you get one of these? And you sit down, and uh, if it actually works, a lot of times there's little lights that go off around it just so you know that it's, it's functioning. And what happens? You wait, huh? Sometimes you wait a long time. One of my favorite restaurants to go to is the Cheesecake Factory. There's one in Naples and other places around the country. And it seems inevitably when I go to the Cheesecake Factory, it is packed. And every time I'm handed one of these things, I think, okay, here we go. It's going to be a while. Now, there's some things I know about that. I know that I can't wander very far because if I get out of range and it's my turn, I'll miss it, huh? I also know that I better pay attention because when it goes off, I only have a certain amount of time before they're going to determine, you know what, he's not here. We're going to give his table away. So I've got to pay attention. I've got to be ready. But I have to just wait, don't I? And you wait. And I'm sure it's happened to you. You see other people's buzzers go off and you think, didn't they get here after I did? How come their table's ready before my table's ready? And then you wait. And you wait. And you wait some more. 
And eventually what happens? It begins to buzz or shake or whatever and it's your moment. And you go and you sit down at the table and you enjoy the meal, hopefully, after all that waiting. We're not very good at waiting, but Jesus says, be ready and wait. In fact, Jesus says, be ready and watch even though He delays. The wedding party was there. They had their lamps and the wise ones had their oil and they waited even though it took the bridegroom a long time to finally come their way. And Jesus says, in terms of our waiting for Him, you be ready, you watch, even though it may seem like a long wait for my return. I don't know if you've ever heard about Dan and Lucinda Jeffrey's first date. Dan on our staff, he also plays bass up here. Lucinda sings. She did the little welcome this morning. Well, when Dan and Lucinda, their very first date, Dan got finally got brave enough to ask her out. And so she said, okay. And they agreed on a time and a place they would meet. And so Lucinda got ready. You know, she put on her makeup, did her hair, put on a beautiful outfit, and she waited for Dan's arrival. But an hour after the time he was supposed to be there went by, and she finally thought, he's not coming. So she washed off her makeup and put on some comfortable clothes, popped some popcorn, and sat down in front of the television set and just started watching. And time passed, and her favorite show was about to come on, and she heard this knock at the door. And so she went to the door, and there was Dan, two hours late. But he had this really funny look on his face. He looked at her really strange, and he said, I'm two hours late and you're still not ready? That didn't really happen, by the way. Jesus says, be ready and watch even though He delays. Now, people throughout history have tried to predict the date of Jesus' return, haven't they? In fact, a famous Christian writer said this. He said, the last days are upon us. Look for Him who is above all time, eternal and invisible. Do you know who said that? It was Ignatius in 110 A.D. That's just a little over a hundred years after Jesus' return. Ignatius says, get ready, He's coming. Another Christian leader around 236 A.D. said that he was certain that before the calendar turned 500 A.D., Jesus would return. A lot of people may have been disappointed. Around 1000 A.D., People, there were so many rumors of Jesus' return. People were so convinced that His return was coming that year that they didn't even plant their cross. A lot of people. They were quite disappointed, I think, when it turned time to harvest their crops and Jesus had not returned. And even in our day, the, the book series Left Behind was just good reading material. But some people have said well, that a lot of the things in that book point to the imminent return of Jesus. But you know what I would say? The return of Jesus is not a riddle to be solved or a code to be broken. It's an event to be anticipated. And we make a mistake when we think we can figure out when Jesus is coming. Jesus simply says, be ready. In His words here in Matthew 25 and in what Jesus says in John 14, Jesus says, you do the trusting, I'll do the preparing and the returning when it's the right time. Jesus also says, be ready and watch because you are responsible for you. When it comes to getting ready for Jesus' return, you are responsible for you and I am responsible for me. The wise girls took their oil along as they waited for the coming of the bridegroom, didn't they? 
But the foolish girls didn't take any along. And when the time came, they said, hey, share some with us. And the other girl said, you're on your own. And maybe that seems like a harsh part of the story to you. And I don't know why they responded that way. But I do know this. This is one decision that you must make for yourself in life. You have to make it for yourself. Your parents can't make this decision for you. Your spouse can't make this decision for you. It doesn't matter what your friends do. It is a decision whether or not we're going to follow Jesus. It's a decision that we have to make by ourselves, period. Another thing Jesus says, Jesus says, be ready and watch because there is such a thing as too late. There is such a thing as too late. The five girls who didn't take along any oil and had to run out and get it. What happened to the rest of the wedding party? They, they went on in, didn't they? And do you see what it says in verse 10 there? It says that after they went in and the party started, the door shut. They were left out. You know, as I read that in verse 10, I can hear the door shutting and I hear the finality in it, don't you? And there will come a point when it is too late. You know, we talk so often about God being a God of the second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and the 25th chance. And you know what? He is. He is so incredibly patient. But for those of us who keep resisting God's invitation to come and follow Him, those who keep resisting the invitation to be ready for His return, need to understand that even though He is incredibly patient, there will come a moment in time when it is simply too late. The door will close. Everybody's heard over and over all the stories about uh, U.S. Airways Flight 1549 that splashed down in the Hudson. Uh, as it was taking off, the birds hit it and you know it looked like it was going to crash. I've heard a lot of stories, but one of the stories that I've heard from some of the flight attendants, they've been quoted as saying, that before they splashed down in the river, there were a lot of people who had their heads down like they were praying. You know why they were praying? Because a lot of them thought the door was closing. And there will come a point for all of us, a time in life when the door will close. Can I just say to some of you who keep resisting God's invitation to follow Him, that you know what? Ten years from now, you may still be resisting His invitation. You may still just be doing life your own way. But ten years from now, you may decide, you know what? I want to follow Him. And you know what? At that point, He will welcome you. But here's the thing. We're not guaranteed ten years. We're not guaranteed any specific amount of time. Jesus said, you just need to get ready. And watch, because you don't know when the door will shut. And if you wait until the door shuts, then Jesus' response will be the same to you as it was to the bridegroom in verse 12 when Jesus said, Truly I tell you, I don't know you. So I guess here's the question. What do I have to do to make sure that I'm ready? How do I get ready so that I can just watch? Because there will be that moment when Jesus returns, when the trumpet call of God sounds, when the buzzer finally goes off. 
And at that moment, it'll be too late. So how do I make sure that I'm ready? Well, I think Jesus answers that question back over in John chapter 14, beginning in verse 5. Jesus says this. Actually, Thomas speaks first. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Thomas says, Jesus, this talked about that you're going to prepare a place for me and someday you're going to come back and take me to be in that place and that you're promising that you'll come back. God, I don't understand that. How do I, how do I get there? I don't know what the way is. And so Jesus answers him and his answer is very simple and very clear. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, the answer to Thomas's question and the answer to our question, how do I get ready? It's very simple and very clear. It's through having a relationship with Jesus. Now, how do I have a relationship with Jesus? Well, the Bible uses some interesting language to describe what it's like to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It talks about putting on Jesus like we put on clothing. Now, listen to what the Bible says. It says this in Romans 13.4, But clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and forget about satisfying your sinful self. It also says this in Galatians 3, You were all baptized into Christ and so you were all clothed with Christ. This means that you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So, is God concerned about our clothes? Does He care what I wore this morning? No, He's not concerned about the clothes that we buy at the store, but He is concerned about our spiritual clothing. Let me do the best I can to try to illustrate this this morning. I want you to pretend with me that this is Danny Deason. Okay? And from our appearance, we look at his white shirt and think that's the way he is because Danny Decent is a decent guy. He pays his taxes. Uh, he's a good dad, we think. He does his job at work. He is respectful towards his superiors. He is just a decent guy. And so when we look at him, we see this decent guy in a white shirt. But heaven has a little bit different view of Danny in fact, if Danny were really honest this morning, he'd tell us that he sees himself differently because he knows about the sin in his life. You see, Danny knows and God knows that there have been times when Danny has told some lies that have stained his shirt. God knows that there have been moments when he has been all alone that Danny has some thoughts about some other women that shouldn't have even gone through his head and he kind of let them linger there for a while. God knows that Danny has cheated a couple times in school. Got away with it. And on and on, God knows the sins and the wrongs that Danny has done. And so when God looks at Danny, He sees this sin-stained clothing. And God realizes, as does Danny, that his relationship with God has been broken because he is stained by sin. And you know what? He's not ready. Because he has that broken relationship with God. So Danny needs a change of clothes. Suppose Danny determined that he recognized first that he, he was covered in all of this sin. That there was a lot of wrong that he had done in his life along the way. And he looks at himself and realizes, I am stained by this sin. And so he admits finally one day, I need God. 
I need His grace. I need His forgiveness of all of my sins. And so he determines in his life that he will invite Jesus into his heart and allow Jesus to become the leader of his life and accept God's gift of having all of that sin washed away. And as a way of publicly declaring his decision and his need for God and his desire to have all of his sins forgiven, Danny is baptized or immersed into water as a spiritual symbol of his decision. You know what happens when Danny gets to the point where he decides to do all of that? Jesus does something that is only perceptible through the eyes of heaven. Jesus takes that sin-stained shirt and He removes it from Danny. And He trades him for a robe of righteousness. Jesus takes that sin upon Himself. He did already when He died on the cross. He has already paid the cleaning bill. He's already paid the penalty for our sins. And in exchange for that, Jesus has given him his robe of righteousness that Danny now wears. And he is clothed with Christ. And guess what? He's ready. And now all he has to do is watch and wait for Jesus to return. How about you this morning? Are you clothed with Christ? Are you really ready for His return? What this morning would happen if God really did send you a text message that said, are you ready? How would you respond? I hope that the way that you would respond this morning when you got that text message was to be able to type back to Him, I am ready because I have been clothed with Christ. And I'm ready for His return. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for Jesus' gift. A gift that says He is willing to trade our sin-stained clothing for His robe of righteousness. And Father, I pray very honestly in the quiet of this moment for people in this room that for whatever reason have never accepted Jesus who've never invited Him into their lives, who've never admitted their need for God. And Father, they are still this morning wearing around their sin-stained clothing and it has broken their relationship with You, God. And there is this hole in their life that they have tried to fill with so many other things. God, nothing has ever filled it. And I pray that in the quietness of this moment, God, You would speak into their heart and God, they would have this assurance from You that You want to fill that brokenness in their life. You want to give them that gift right now in this very moment. Thank You for the hope that I have in my life, God, because I am ready and the sin-stained clothes has been removed and I wear a robe of righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.